for you to right now go with me to your smartphone right now. Go ahead. I'm giving you permission to pull out your phone in church, you guys. Every young person is excited right now. And head on over to your app store and just type in the search bar. You guys, you guys going with me? All right. And you're going to type in the search bar church center. Okay. Once you've done that, you can go ahead and download the church center app. Some of you guys are really good students, and some of you guys are not such great students. Once you've downloaded the app, go ahead and go into the search bar and just type in Legacy Church, and it'll remember that that's where you go. And on that app, you can, we just launched this app, you can uh, give, you can sign up for events, parents, you can check in your kids in advance. It's kind of our centralized location of where you can find all things Legacy Church. Um, in fact, small groups, you can sign up for your small group there. Your small group leaders are actually currently getting trained to um, take attendance and track, you know, who's there and all that stuff um, it, through that app. So it's really a great tool that we're very excited about that hopefully will make all of our lives much easier and much more unified. So, hey, thank you again for, for being here. Um, if we have not yet met, my name is Tony. And uh, like I mentioned, I am one of the assistant pastors here today. And this is actually my, my wife, Sophia. Um, she's one of the pastors here as well. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about um, this idea of the kind of people that God is calling us to be. And I'm just going to tell you right now, AV guys, that my iPad isn't connecting, so I'm not going to mess with it. So you guys will just have to roll with it. Um, and... Um, and over the last few weeks, we've been exploring this idea of the what and the why. What is it that we as a people, especially here at Legacy, are wanting to do and why we're wanting to do that. And today, what we want to discuss is really uh, the how. We want to talk about the how. How are we going to become the people that God has called us to be? And I'd like to open up right away to uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. It's also going to appear up on your screen. And it says this, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the, check this out, infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And check this out. It says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus, and I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the death, from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, say with me, one way or another. Some of you started singing, one way or another. Some of you guys like, I'm too Christian to listen to that. That's okay. Jesus forgives you, and he's forgiven me. One way or another, I want to experience the resurrection from the dead. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you because your word goes beyond Tony's terrible jokes, and we're grateful, God, that your word speaks to everyone, 
no matter where we're at, God, and even as Pastor Ralph constantly prays week in and week out, I pray that you would have a special message written for every person in this room that would go beyond my words, that would go beyond Sophia's words or thoughts, God, but that your spirit, God, would be able to come and translate your truth into tangible, real, life-changing, not just principles and not just practices, but life change in our lives today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if any of you have had this experience where somebody gets you a gift that they are totally sure is right up your alley. It's going to thrill you. Like, they're convinced, I've got you this very best birthday present you've ever gotten in your life. And then you open it, and you're kind of wondering how you're supposed to respond. So here's a story. Once, when I was 19 years old and engaged to Tony, 19, Far too not young. joking. Far too Far young. too young. But, okay, that's another story. We were 19 years old. And I had, I had already moved into our little five-plex. We had this tiny unit. I want to say it was like 625 square feet. It was miniature, tiny micro house. And I had moved in, and we were music students, so we had a ton of equipment. We had pianos and marimba, and he was a percussion major, which is not a good candidate for a 600-square-foot apartment. And we had so much stuff in it that was, tiny little house. It was a marimba and a xylophone. Yeah, yeah. because one isn't enough. So... We had so many things in that tiny little house. No children, back when things were just easy. And we had all these instruments and no space in this house. I walk in one day, and it was my birthday. Not really. I'm a leap year baby. So it was February 28th, and I was pretending it was my birthday. And Tony had gotten me a gift. And I walk in, and I was, oh, wow, how amazing. It was wrapped in a bow. And I, reference, I was a vocal music major, and I was minoring in clarinet. So I thought, oh, I wonder what this could be, a big, huge box on my couch. I open it up, and it is a tenor saxophone. It was a tenor saxophone. And I opened up that tenor saxophone that I did not play, have any interest in learning to play, or understand the first thing about. And Tony's like, it's a woodwind instrument. It uses a reed. I know this is your jam. You love jazz. So I got you a tenor saxophone. And he was so thrilled and just, like, super proud of himself for what he had done for me. And I, honestly, I could barely even say thank you. It was a very tough moment. <laughs> and, and he was so confused about why I wasn't bouncing off the walls excited because I'm like, when am I going to practice? I'm taking 21 credits and we have no space. What are we going to do? So poor Tony, I kept it for, like, six months because it would be really rude to sell it, like, the next day. So I... <laughs> I kept it for six months and learned like two songs on it just to be nice. And then I sold it. And so that gift was one of those gifts where really you just didn't know me. And because here's the deal. You can know somebody. You can know kind of like what's going to make them excited maybe. But you can really love them. I mean, Tony really loved me. He loved me enough to say he wanted to marry me and spend the rest of his life with me. So he says, I know I love her. I love her so much. So he got me a tenor saxophone, which proves my point. And when I always say this, you can love someone without knowing their character, their desires, who they are, what they stand for, and what matters to them. You can still love them. But it takes a very persistent pursuit of somebody to actually know them. So, and, um, 
like we've been talking about over the last few weeks, we've been talking about um, a lot of what I would say have fallen into the category of, of, of principles of, that are biblical principles. And biblical principles are good and they're great, but they can become dangerous if we don't know the person that wants us to live out that principle. And so today, what we're wanting to do, and as, a, and as a pastoral staff, what we've been talking about is we want to make sure that right smack dab in the middle of the series, we stop and we pause and we say, what will it take to truly know Jesus, to truly know this person that we say we love, and we love him, and we give all that we are to him, but even as Paul writes, do we have this desperation in our hearts to pursue him? Are we desperate for pursuing this one that we love? And I believe I, God is calling us to move even from these principles to, to practices, to daily rhythms. I believe there's daily rhythms in our lives that God has placed in, 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 in our lives for us to live out in order for us to get to know who this Jesus is. And so here's kind of my thought or our thought here for today is that this scripture Paul himself is writing almost from a very desperate standpoint. And, and I want to tell you something. Paul, when he writes, uh, and at the very beginning of this uh, scripture in Philippians 3, he begins to talk about all of his life experiences and who he was taught by. And the fact that after he had this radical salvation, he's then actually becomes the student of one of the most famous teachers of the law, of the Jewish law. And he becomes this kind of um, uh, poster child, if you will, for uh, the Jewish law. And he, he says, Check this out, y'all. All that stuff I counted as, as garbage, he says. All my experience, who I was trained by, who I know, where I come from, what I've done, what I haven't done. All that is nothing because it pales in comparison. And he talks about the infinite value of knowing Jesus. And so I believe, I believe God is calling Legacy Church to have a, a passionate pursuit of knowing who Jesus is. I believe that as we talk about the kind of people that we want to be, we must not just settle on these nice sounding good principles of like for example, even you know Pastor Ralph has talked about the last couple of weeks of having fertile ground. What will it take to have fertile soil? I believe it is to know the one who is throwing seeds into our lives in an intimate, in a deep way, to know his heartbeat, to know his mind, to know his intentions. And so with that, part of the reason why I asked Sophia to join me this morning is because on the practical sense, and I'm just going to brag on my wife for a second. Is that okay? I think there's enough spouses that complain about their wives. So if, that, if it's okay with you, I'll take some time to brag about my wife, if, that, if, if that's okay. Can you do that in church? Can you brag about your, your uh, I think you can. Okay, good. Some, some of you, an elder said yes, I'm going with it. <laughs> Sophia, as she mentioned, our, our lives can be kind of crazy. If you, uh, if you don't know us, we have five kids. Um, we used to have one dog, now we have two dogs because life wasn't crazy enough as it was. Um, we used to have one bunny, we now have three bunnies because, again, life wasn't crazy enough a, 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 as it is. And, and um, I have watched Sophia take biblical principles and in a very practical way, live them out. 
in her life on a daily basis. In fact, Sophia, in my, in my opinion, as I've watched her and as we've been married for the last 11 years, I've watched as she literally makes no excuse, although she could use any excuse under the sun, as to why these practices and these rhythms should or shouldn't be in her life. I've watched her for years get up as early as, you know, an hour before all the kids get up, which is anywhere from four to five in the morning, to make sure that she's meeting with God, that she's reading her Bible, that she's journaling, that she's crying out to God, that she's worshiping on her piano. And, and I've watched her just put these kind of practices and rhythms in her life. Meanwhile, no joke, I'm hitting snooze two or three times, you know, on the bed. Uh, or, and, and my, you know, my, my rhythms aren't as great. You know, part of my rhythm is just go pull a kid out of bed and put him back into bed with me while Sophia's doing all that. And so I thought, you know what, instead of me trying to preach something that, quite frankly, if I'm honest, I'm still working through, why not have somebody that, that not has arrived, but can offer us some very practical things as to what we can live out on a daily basis, no excuses aside, all excuses aside, and say, God, what will it take for us to pursue you in a mighty way? So go ahead, Sophia. Well, I think that I was, I was probably, I was a young adult, and I remember learning the definition of Christian. And I was really, really impacted by what its meaning was, that it is of someone who acts and looks like Jesus. These, per these people called Christians, they reminded everybody of Jesus. And I thought, well, I never got to meet him like they did. I never got to, like, see him face to face and listen to every word he ever said. I said, well, then I better make sure that I hang on his every word that I have access to. And I think that, you know, we have to understand that in order to know Jesus, we have, we, in order to represent Jesus, we really have to know him. We have to know what he stands for. We have to know what he says. We have to know how he thinks, how he relates with others, how he operates, everything he does. If we don't know it, if we don't know him, then how can I confidently stand in front of one person or a thousand people and say that I'm a follower of Jesus? And so I was convicted at a pretty young age to, to not have my faith ever be fraudulent. I don't want to have to ever misrepresent Jesus. And so I started this rhythm of getting up what I used to call early was 730 in college, and I'd get up, and I would, I would read, and I would study, and then with each child, it seems to be going about a half an hour earlier. It's about five right now, which is fine, but I, I make sure that I wake up, and the first thing I do is I open my Bible, I light a candle, and I just say, oh, Jesus, please help me, and I think that what happens is when we, for example, when you think about a politician, we, especially with a big race coming up, we're all sort of thinking about this sort of concept of how do I know who to vote for? How do I know what they stand for? What do we do? We open up that very informational large paper booklet and we read everything about that politician. What do they stand for? What, what matters to them? What have they said in other interviews before this date? What did they stand for back in their young adult years? We pick apart these politicians and we dig really deep. Because God forbid we vote for someone who's not going to line up with what our heartbeat is as individuals, which varies for everybody. But I compare our relationship with knowing Jesus. I mean, if we do that for politicians who are just earthly and who, in kingdom terms, it ends here. 
But what about with Jesus? If he's our eternity and our future, much more. We must pick apart every word that Jesus has ever said and ever done. And I, I think of Psalms 119 that says, I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. In order to honor and love his commands, don't we have to know them? And in order to meditate on his decrees, don't we have to know them? And I think that that is such an important practice in our lives. It's not going to look the same for everybody. It's not going to look like a 5 a.m. wake up. It's not going to look like an evening time. Everyone has their own rhythms. But I think that we have such an important job as Christians to really know the word of God, to really know what we're talking about when we're witnessing to our friends and when we're out there shining this light. We better know what light we're shining. So, um, you know, I think that... uh, when we, when we remember how important it is, when we remember the crucial aspect of correctly representing who Jesus is, that is when our hearts begin to get stirred to need that to be part of our daily lives. And one of the things about this idea of knowing Jesus through his word, it's such a practical thing that in, uh, in my mind, I, I'm a very practical person. There's a creative side to me, but there's also kind of an administrative side that says things must make sense. And one of the things that I have found just even in my life that have helped me get to know who Jesus is through his word is even the memorization of scripture. Like, I, I believe it or not, I used to run. I, I know it's kind of hard to tell. But I, I, I used to go out for jogs every once in a while. And, and what I would do is kind of in the rhythm of my breathing, I'd begin to remember scriptures. And I begin to, to memorize scriptures. And I, I remember early on, even in, in, in Bible college, I had kind of a competition with some buddies of who could spit out more scripture to each other more and more. And before I knew it, really it started out with very selfish intentions, right? Like it was a competitive thing, like who knows more scripture and who's going to go back. And I realized it began to change my way of thinking without me even knowing. Because you see, knowing the word of God and hanging on his every word begins to transform us from the inside out. You see, we do live, and it's no surprise to any of us, that we live in a world filled with pressures, filled with opinions, filled with truths and not-so-truths, and facts and not-so-facts. And as the people of God, we must know what is right and what is wrong. We must know what is true and what is a lie. And in order to know that, we must hang on his every word. We must know what his word says. Second point today that we want to talk about is to know Jesus, we must, we must tune our hearts. In order to know Jesus, we must tune our hearts. Like in Philippians 3.10, it says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I think that is so impactful because whenever our human beings going to say that, I want to suffer what do you want to do today, babe? Oh, I just really want to suffer. <laughs> what is that? We're concerned about those kind of statements. But the, the beauty of this scripture is that in order to really know Christ, we have to know what he did for us. And we have to know what, he was, what lengths he was willing to go to for, for our sake, for my sake. And, you know, that it, it, Paul could have, Paul could never have suffered all he did in his lifetime for the sake of Jesus if he hadn't have first humbled himself. And if he hadn't have first just 
just be broken before what Jesus did for him and just humble himself in this position of, are you kidding for me? How it, that has, like, especially being right there, being just awestruck by the fact that this person who deserved no death took the death from the person who deserved the worst death and to just think, you have got to be kidding me. You did that for me. And uh, it is this humbling breaking and uh, uh, this broken and contrite position of our hearts where we say, God, and our heads just, they, they go down. We fall and we say, God, if you are willing to suffer for me, then please let me suffer for you. I want to, I want to be broken for you. And, and I think that one thing that is so powerful about worship is that that's where it's birthed out of. Worship is birthed out of this, oh, Lord, thank you. How I don't deserve this. Why, look what you've done for me. How can I not sing to you and wave my hands like a crazy person and, and want to just jump away from that keyboard? Because, God, we can't contain it. You know, these moments of, wow. And I think that without first humbling ourselves and really recognizing what Jesus was willing to do for us, we miss it. We miss that point when we begin to glory in what we've done. And if I were to begin to glory in, well, I get up every day at 5 in the morning. I know my word. Missed the point entirely. And when we begin to claim, well, I've been a Christian for this many years. And all my kids serve the Lord. And I have never once said a swear word. I, we begin to glory in our own works. And we completely take the credit away from the one who deserves all the credit. And, and we can get completely sidetracked by trying to make sure that we are living good enough. When really what God is asking, when we read this scripture, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I mean, think of that power. He was dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. That comes out of a place of complete humility, of realizing our position before this king of kings who died for us. And, and this position of, of humility... Really, really is where this practice or this rhythm of worship is so important. You know, worship is not just something that we do when we show up on a Sunday morning and the first chord strikes and we hope that we can hear clearly and that the sound guys are paying attention and maybe it's too loud or not. No, that, that, that's just one environment. But worship starts with an attitude of our hearts. Our hearts that walk in a humility that go, I, am, I realize where I am that I'm so willing, like Paul said, to even suffer with Jesus. In fact, the psalmist says this. It says, then I will praise you with music on the heart. Because why? Because you are faithful. So not because I feel like it or because I really like the music or because I'm really feeling these lyrics right now or this environment's great, but because he is faithful, I praise him. And it says, I will sing praises to you with a lyre, another instrument, O Holy One of Israel. I will shout for joy and sing your praises for you have ransomed me. Again, the reason why, because there's an understanding that I needed rescuing and I couldn't rescue myself and somebody I and who was it that sang the song, I Need a Hero? Man, I'm making some terrible music references today. Uh, it, was that Whitney Houston? I don't know. Anyway, I need a hero. 
We need a hero in the night. Anyway, and, and the fact is this, and he's got to be strong, and he's got to, right? I'm going to keep singing it. Why? Jesus shows up, and he rescues us, and he ransoms us. And so then I'm going to go ahead and tell of your righteous good deeds all day long. Some of you guys are still laughing at my bad jokes. That's, um, thank you. You know, I, I will tag on to that, that worship really, truly is a practice. It is an act in our every single day. I mean, it is really very wonderful for me to be able to come in here where there's kids' church going on and everyone's being taken care of and I can just worship the Lord freely. That's easy most of the time. Sometimes when we're at home, when we're in our daily lives, when we are frustrated, when we are angry, when we are just scratching our heads at some of the injustices that we have to face on a daily basis, those are the moments when the practice of worship really carries power. It really carries power because you are singing and you are blessing the name of God in spite of your frustrations, right through your, your anger or whatever it is, you name it. Your doubts in the fact that he's going to take care of you or not. Sing on through it. There, my, my, uh, there's a little bit of a rule at my house. When I'm hiding underneath my apron, I wear an apron every day because, not only because it keeps my clothes clean, but because it's a really good quick escape when everything's falling apart. And my kids kind of know, oh, she's in her apron. I go, <laughs> this is so weird. I'm sorry. This is so weird. She's kind of quirky like that guy. But it's I'm okay. telling you, here's the deal. I go into my little mobile prayer closet, and I'm just saying, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I bless your name. Thank you for my children who just totally spilled their soup all over the carpet, and I don't know how I'm going to get that out. Thank you, God, that even though this is going on, God, I thank you for the lives that I have to take care of. I thank you for this life that I get to live. God, bless your name. You are so much bigger than me. You are so much greater. You go before me. You've seen it all. And suddenly, down comes the apron. Okay, here we go. I'm back. It is a tool that carries big-time power, and it's a practice that is not just reserved for Sunday mornings. Worship is an avenue. Worship is like the highway that gets us to the heart of God. And when we remember that it's a practice and not just a Sunday morning activity, things begin to really shift in our lives. And with worship, uh, you know, this idea of knowing Jesus means we tune our hearts uh, some of you old-timers might know uh, an old hymn, Come Thou Font. You guys know that? Raise your hand if you know it, yeah? And, and the first, first few lines of that says, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing. What is it? To my heart to sing thy grace, right? This idea, and it's one of my favorite hymns. Because, and, and what I do, one of the things that I do is I find myself having to like get recentered a lot. I don't know if there's any other hotheads out in the building here today, but like I'm very, you know, most people wake up at a two, I wake up at a nine and a half, right? So a pin drops, I'm at a 12 right away, you know? And so I find myself throughout the day having to recenter myself, kind of get back to baseline. And, and I have found that worship allows me to shift my perspective, allows my heart to be tuned back to his grace. And honestly, one of the things I do is I, I always throw on that song, my favorite version of, of that hymn. And it gets me back into this idea of I've got to retune my heart to sing of, of his grace. Because what does that do? That puts me now back into this idea that I needed rescuing and his grace came. And when I least deserved it, he showed up and he gave me a new start and he gave me a new chance. And because of that, I get to respond to him. Worship also helps us celebrate 
It helps us celebrate when things are going really well, when there's victory in our lives. And it helps us to go, God, you're so good. It helps us to say, God, look at what you've done. Psalm 126 even says that those that, that sow uh, in tears will end up harvesting with joyful shouting. Because there's this idea of bringing glory to the Father. And the other thing that it does is it calibrates my soul. Worship helps to calibrate my soul. And the third thing that we want to talk to you about this morning is this idea that if, if we want to know him, we must tap into his power. And, and let me tell you, I'm going to even stand up for this because i, I got to preach on you. Um, Jesus isn't just a cute concept. Jesus wasn't just a, a, a cool teacher that had some really cool things to talk about and, and, and some good kind of uh, ways of living and, and moral lifestyle. Jesus was a man that was fully God, the word says. Fully God, made man, comes down to our level and suffers a brutal death. And doesn't stay in that grave. In fact, it's, it's crazy. I mean, think about this. Someone dies and three days later, he is brought up out of that grave in a supernatural way. Not only that, it says in your Bible and in my Bible that in the spiritual world, what he did during that time was he stole back, he took back the keys of life and death from the enemy, the mortal enemy of our souls. So to know Jesus is not just to know this cute little idea. It is to know a powerful, the most powerful person that has walked this earth, the only way to eternal life, the only way to restore our brokenness. And so Paul himself says it this way. And he says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is in a different passage. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for at times, right? Some of us, when we go, I'm like, God, I, I don't know what to say. I wish I was a spiritual Sophia, but I, I'm just not, all right? And, and we don't know what he wants us to but, but the Holy Spirit, here's where the power of understanding Jesus beyond a person, beyond a teacher, beyond just a, a moral person. This is where the power is at. That the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for all of us believers in harmony with God's own will. So how do we get to know Jesus? By recognizing his power. Paul himself even writes about this idea of being raised from the dead. There is power in that. He has an ability that goes beyond ourselves. And I'm here to tell you today, not just because I'm charismatic and excited when I preach. I'm here to tell you because I've experienced it, I've seen it, and I know that I know that I know. That if you're here today in a situation that looks hopeless, there is hope. There is a power that goes beyond what you can see. If you are in a relationship, a marriage, that looks like there is no hope, there is hope. There is a power that goes beyond what you can see. If you are in a medical situation today there that looks like there is no hope and no answer, I am telling you there is a power that goes beyond that. I'm telling you there is no restriction to a limitless God. But first we must tap into that power. And how do I tap into that power? Very simple. By communing with him. By speaking to him. By praying. 
One of the things that I have done in my life is I have found that at times I can't always just create space every day to just, as Sophia says, go into her mobile prayer closet. But you know what I have found is that I've made sure that I recognize God in every moment of my day. So one of the rhythms that we must put into our lives is recognizing that God is in fact there. When you're in the middle of looking at Excel spreadsheets at work, when you're measuring before you cut or whatever it is that you do, you're, maybe you're a teacher and you're sitting there just taking your last breath before the crazies come into your classroom and every parent is going, thank you to, you know, thank you for taking them for six hours a day or more. And, you know, it, before that, there is a moment where you can invite God into that very thing. And as we tap into his power, as we tap into his power, we begin to experience something that goes beyond us, beyond our abilities. And I, you know, there really is a power that we need, that we tap into, but in order to tap into that power, we've got to recognize it. We've got to say, God, I see what you can do. Jesus, I see what you're able to do. And I'm asking that you would give that to me too. And one thing, when we ask that, we can confidently trust that that's what's going to happen because that's exactly what the word of God says. When you know the word of God, you can stand on those promises. You say, God, I know that you said, I'm going to do even greater things than you did when you walked this earth. So I'm claiming it. I know what you said. I'm going to hold you to it. And we have great faith when we ask of him. And, you know, like in Matthew 6, it says in verse 6 through 13, when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating words over and over again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. Pray like this, and this is so simple. Our Father in heaven, your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Even if we prayed only that every day think of the power think of the effect that is an all-encompassing if we all did that every single day and not even expand farther even you know don't you don't need to come up with these giant lists of prayers if it is daunting to you to think gosh how am I going to incorporate this practice of prayer into my life that's a that's tough that just do that it is an incredible starting point as a Christian, whether you've been a Christian for years or whether you're not even sure you want to be a Christian yet. Start praying that prayer and you'll begin to see, oh, wow, God, you really do do what you say you're going to do. And then he builds this trust with us. It's this trust relationship. You say, wow, you said that if I did this, you would do this. And now I see that what you said was true and I trust you. And it is this very safe and secure experience of saying, God, would you just please take care of my needs today? Give me what I need right now today. And if it ends there, that is enough. Because little by little, Jesus goes earning trust in your heart. Because we're humans. We, we put him in these boxes and we think, I don't know if he can actually do what I need him to do. But we begin to ask. Because when we know what he says he's going to do, we can hold him to it. And he says, oh, I told you I'd do it. And then we watch and we grow and we trust and we start praying bigger prayers. And we start asking for greater things, not for ourselves, not because we want to be rewarded, but because we want him to be made famous through our lives. 
And that's the driving point behind why we pray, not so, not so that we can just get what we want. And the beautiful thing about prayer is that maybe sometimes when we're beginning to pray, that's the drive. God, I need you to just give me that pay raise. And that's sort of how it starts. But then later he starts to show you how trustworthy he is and how bigger than that he is. And you say, God, wow, thanks for not giving me that pay raise. I really, people were able to see how you provided in my life even though, even though I had no paycheck. And that is a trust relationship with Jesus. And he glorifies himself. So our prayers go to this place of God, just glorify yourself through me. I want to see you be made famous. With that, I'm going to go ahead and have Sophia head over to the keyboard and call up the worship band. And I want to just direct your attention back to our first scripture that talks about knowing Jesus. And some of you might be here today and you might be going, this all sounds great, but it, to be honest, it, it may actually kind of sound like a list of things to do. I just showed up to church. I was really hoping to like get a breath of fresh air and I'm walking out with a list of things to do. And I'm here to tell you it's, it's, it's not a list of things to do. It's a, it's a response to go, God, I am so desperate to know you that I will do whatever it takes. Or as Paul said, one way or another. One way or another, I must know you, Jesus. And you might be here today and you might be saying, well, you know, I've been desperate enough that now I think I've come to a point where I just need to make a decision to accept this Jesus in my life. And we don't ever want to uh, forego an opportunity for anybody that might be here today that would want to make a decision to live for Jesus and with Jesus. So if you're here this morning, I'd like for you to, uh, everyone to just bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're here this morning and, and if you've never given your life to Jesus and you would say, you know, I, I want to start that journey. I want to start this journey of getting to know him. I, I want to start this journey of, of knowing what it's like to hang on his every word. I want to know what it's like to tune my heart, to, to sing of all that he is. I, I want to know what it's like to have conversations with him and talk to him and commune with him. Or maybe you've made that decision and at some point you decided to kind of go away from it. And today you want to make your way back into the family, if you will. So with every eye closed, if you're here today and you're one of those people that wants to give your life to Jesus or rededicate your life, feel free to just raise your hand so that I can know who I am praying for. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna call you out. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. Jesus, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you because your salvation is not just for a select group of people. In fact, it doesn't matter where we come from, what we've done. You accept us. And your word says that if we put our faith in Jesus as the only one that can save our souls and rescue us, God, that we get to be saved. And so today, those of us that are making that decision today, I pray that we would be able to begin a new journey a new life, a new step of following you in a passionate way today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And for the rest of you, I, I believe there's, there's two ways to respond today. Number one, as the band is playing, 
you can feel free to stand to your feet and sing and, and make the song that we're about to sing a declaration of your heart. We're going to talk about how our hope is built on nothing else but this very person named Jesus. And, and, and you want to you go into a relationship with him that you trust him in a deeper way. And you begin to place more and more on him and, and less on you. You can do that even through singing. And the second way is in the back of our sanctuary, we've got this banner called the Prayer Corner. Our prayer teams are going to meet you back there. We've got really nice, friendly people that have brushed their teeth this morning, so don't worry. Um, they're willing to pray for you for anything, anything. It doesn't necessarily even have to do anything that we talked about today. If you've got a specific need, they're willing to pray for you. But why don't we all stand to our feet? And if you're here today, and as we're responding, you're saying, I want to make a commitment to truly, passionately pursue Jesus. No matter where you find yourself on the spectrum of the journey of faith, if you're here and you're saying, I want to passionately pursue him, I want to hang on his every word, I want to tune my heart, I want to be able to know what it's like to depend on his power and experience that power, would you raise your hands up in the air with me? And God, you see these hands, you see our hearts, God, and today we commit to going to places that we've never even been with with you before, God. Lord, teach us to diligently and passionately pursue all that you are, God. Not just some of it, but all of it, God. Even as Paul says, God, even the suffering part, God, help us to be humble. Help us to be teachable. Help us to be moldable, God. But also help us to experience your power. Help us to sing of your praises, to sing of your goodness, oh God. So today, with every hand that has been raised today, God, we do that, committing ourselves to you to walk this with you. So help us to do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's
dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne, Christ alone, oh Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong in the same with us and everywhere we go you go with us as well God so I pray that you would bless every person that's here today every person that's made a commitment to you God help us to keep that commitment in Jesus name hey if you're still getting prayed for in the back don't be rushed feel free to hang out for the rest of you we hope to see you again next weekend and don't forget harvest party this Saturday invite 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 we'll see you next weekend have a great day